This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Pour yourself a cold one. They strike them, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast, presented by betonline.ag. They are your online sportsbook experts. He is your online draft expert, Matt Waldman, from the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, MattWaldmanRSP.com. Check him out on Twitter, at Matt Waldman. And it is NFC North Day, which is glorious. Nobody else is doing this. And I think it's a mistake. We spend so much time on the draft. Matt spends his whole year on the draft. And then you don't end up talking about the picks that were made? No, we're we're talking about them. We're doing it here. Matt Waldman, at Matt Waldman on Twitter. Today is NFC North Day. So giddy up, Lions, Packers, Bears, and Vikings fans. And everybody else, I think, should be interested to hear about the different picks. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Five teams, seven years. Absolutely love being in the podcast game. Today's Ross Tucker football podcast was Warren Sharp going over the teams that have tough schedules and easy schedules compared to last year. Very interesting. You better check out the RTFP today if you didn't already. And we greatly appreciate all of you that rate and review our shows. It means a great deal. If you can rate and review our shows uh, on whatever podcast app you have, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, it means a great deal. And by the way, if you take a screenshot and email it to me, ross at rosstucker.com, you can ask a question on whatever show you want. Pretty cool opportunity. Almost as cool as talking to Matt about every single NFC North pick. All right, Matt, we're going to start with the Chicago Bears. And there's a lot that I think are interesting here. Let's start with their first pick. Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame, feels like there were mixed reviews on Komet, number one. Number two, it's just interesting. The Bears already had like 10 tight ends. I don't think anybody was expecting them to take a tight end with their first pick. Yeah, for sure. You know, and you have Jimmy Graham that you signed as a free agent. You still have Ben Broniker in the lineup. You still have, um, you, you know, you also have Adam. I'm trying to remember his last name, but uh, the, the kid. Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, also another promising guy, promising athlete. And it seems to me that when you look at Cole Komet, you're kind of looking at just a, a, a promising athlete at a bigger name school who also has some issues in terms of run blocking, in terms of being able to make the big contested plays. He's a guy that I think is a safe pick in terms of eventually developing into a starter, but I don't think he's ever going to reach the status that you would expect from your first pick. Um, And and so when you look at him, I, I, I can understand the mixed reviews here because this is the type of guy that, that I think that is, 
going to be good enough to contribute, but someone that the team will be looking down the road to get another tight end. And and when you pick a guy this early and that's what the outcome might turn out to be, um, you, you know, that's not, that's not a great sign. The next guy is interesting. Jalen Johnson, also in the second round, a corner from Utah. And what's interesting about him is I think everybody really liked the player, Matt. There's just concern about his shoulder because I guess he had like three shoulder surgeries. Yeah, and, you know, certainly the Bears have been known to be a fairly conservative group when it comes to at least off-field and and certain issues with players in terms of how they investigate them. So if they feel like that the shoulder is healthy enough, um, you know, that might be a good sign con- considering what has always been known as kind of a conservative nature. But then again, you could look at possibly the pressure that maybe Ryan Pace and company are under this year and that they feel like they need to take a chance on a guy who, if healthy, you know, he has that long speed. He has the ability to make sudden jams at the line. He has good hands to attack the ball, you know, and he's a guy who's a, an aware coverage player um, who who does a good job even as an edge rusher and who can be, you know, fairly physical and give them some production right away. So maybe they're kind of rolling the dice here just on the nature of, maybe feeling the pressure that this this organization needs to turn a corner now or these guys are out of their job. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I think, you know, people take more risks when it's more important that they win that year. There's just no doubt about trading up, taking injury risks, taking character risks, all of that. It's a terrific point, Matt. All right. Appreciate the next that. couple guys, they didn't have any third or fourth round picks. So let's get to three fifth-round picks. Travis Gibson, an outside linebacker from Tulsa. Kendall Vildor, a corner from Georgia Southern. And Darnell Mooney, a wide receiver from Tulane. Now, I did two Tulane games last year. I did their games against Army and UCF, and I met with Mooney. Uh, Mooney can fly. I mean, he is fast, fast. Uh, Very slight He's kind of like a, uh, maybe like a poor man's Hollywood Brown, I guess I would describe him. You know, just a thin guy who can really roll. Um, and then we'll just go with those three those three uh, fifth-round picks for now. Sure, and, and the way you described him also fits a player that the Bears had. If you think of a, you know, a, a, a poor man's Hollywood Brown, you might be looking at Taylor Gabriel, who was, you know, a, a fairly refined route runner. Um, but kind of a, a, a short, a short, small, slight, but very fast receiver. And maybe they're looking for Mooney to be able to get into that role and maybe be able to take over for Gabriel at some point. Vildor, we've talked about him. You know, as a guy I like, he played a lot of press man and bail technique where they, you know, they keep an eye on the quarterback and he presses well. I mean, he held up extremely well against some of the top receivers in football, including Clemson's depth chart. And he has that range as a coverage player up the alley as a tackler. He delivers hits and wraps well, and he's patient. Um, you know, he handled T Higgins in the red zone and like it was an easy thing. And that's, that's something that when you think about Higgins game and what he's known for to be able to make those type of rebounding plays, Vildor really impressed in that, in that regard. So I think Vildor has a chance to compete with Jalen Johnson, or maybe they both 
can maybe they're hoping that both these guys can eventually take over and be, you know, the bookends for their cornerback, you know, and their coverage lineup. And then Gibson, I mean, listen, he has a great first step. He covers a lot of ground and does it fast. He's got the long arms and legs, really flexible. He's a, he's an athlete who has, you know, they, they call these guys trait baits, trait based prospects, guys with the athletic traits to be starters. Um, and, you know, certainly even the lateral movement is it's almost kind of unnatural, some of the things he does laterally. Um, but he has to learn the techniques, um, you know, with these movements that he has so that he can become an efficient and productive player. And I think because he doesn't really know these techniques as well as he should, he's so focused on each step that he's making that he doesn't always, you know, stay you know, focused on what's going on with the play and kind of loses sight of the play. And, and, you know, he's a real powerful guy with a lot of talent. I think he could develop in a year or two and become a force. And maybe they're hoping that this is a guy that, that can grow up fast. And if he does, he could be disruptive. Couple of seventh round picks along the offensive line, Arlington Hambright from Colorado, Lachavius Simmons from Tennessee state, Matt, I don't know a darn thing about either one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Hambright hasn't hasn't played much, but he was at Colorado, I believe, Colorado State or Colorado. He's quick off the line. He has good timing and pop as a puncher, and he can reset fast with his hands and feet. Um, at this point, they're going to have to work on him with his kind of the, the alignment of his stance when he sets because he lunges a lot. Um, his footwork can be inconsistent and, and part of that may be because he lacks some length and, but if he can learn to punch it with balance, he might make a roster spot, um, with the bears. And then Simmons is, you know, a Tennessee state guy, um, six, five, three fifteen, real bully in the run game, long arms, kind of, again, like a trait based prospect here, finishes strong His pass pro is going to need work. Um, but you know, listening, I, I kind of read some of the interviews that Ryan Pace had about him, and, and they said that, you know, he told the media that they think he can play guard and tackle. They like his work ethic, and they're, again, trait-based prospect with athletic upside. Let's get to the Detroit Lions. We've already talked about Jeffrey Okuda, their first-round pick. Second-round pick was DeAndre Swift, Matt, a guy that you are very familiar with. Yeah, and it's an interesting pick because I honestly think Carrion Johnson is a is a highly talented back and even a little more talented than Swift, but he hasn't stayed healthy the past two years. And when you can't stay healthy for your first two years in the league as a running back, they're going to put you on notice, you know. And this is a huge um, message in that regard, and and really one that may just say, you know, good luck with your next team when your contract comes up if if Swift plays the way that he can. Because even though I think Johnson's a little more talented, most people, when you're going to watch these two play, you're not going to see a huge difference from a production standpoint if they both play to their potential. Swift is a little sturdier um, in terms of his build. Um, he's very good receiver after the first route doesn't break open. And what it's kind of funny because he's very good at being able to improvise with his quarterback and find that open space. Very natural feel for that, but he has to develop his first routes a little bit better so that he can win with that first break and be more efficient with it. And if he can develop that, and I think he will, cause he has a tremendous work ethic. This is a guy that's like working out, you know, 
started working out like in the middle of the night and had basically a key to the practice facility to do that pretty much nightly and then wound up getting a bunch of other players inspired to do the same thing at Georgia. And, you know, he, he's a guy that I think can do enough to be a lead back in a committee um, and, and even be maybe the featured back over time. Couple of third round picks, Julian Aquara, the outside backer rusher from Notre Dame and Jonah Jackson. Former Rutgers Scarlet Knight who transferred to Ohio State. No chance he gets drafted in the third round if he's at Rutgers. None. Yeah, you know, and when you look at Jackson, he played guard and center. Um, he has a really nice setup as a pass protector. He's in terms of looking at his base and the lateral movement that he shows. Um, he doesn't have great length, but he can, and he can play a little tall, but he's a super smart player. He sees game well, you know, defender twists where they have the tackle end twists. He sees that well. Um, he just doesn't move his body well enough to sink and get leverage at this stage, but probably is a guy that they feel like can develop and, and they can um, get a good a good bit out of him as a contributor or starter. And then Oguara, he kind of reminds me a little bit of what Cleveland hoped to get from Barkevius Mingo way back in the day. Kind of a long-arm, strong-closing burst player with skill to bend the edge. Um, awesome potential for counters at the top of his arc and, and his ability to drop into coverage um, just needs to get stronger needs to get stronger against the run. I think he needs to work on winning wide against top rushers rather than leaning on his, his kind of outside encounters. But, you know, there's the, the athletic traits are there. There's some skill there that can continue to be developed. Fourth round and fifth round, you got Logan Stenberg, a guard from Kentucky, Quintez Cephas, who I know is a favorite of yours, the wide receiver from Wisconsin, and Jason Huntley, another running back, this one from New Mexico State. Yeah, Sternberg, you know, this is a he's a future plug and play guard. I think he's a guy that has good hands. You know, he can punch, he grips well, good grip strength. He's he's an edgy kind of aggressive player but also is an intelligent and pass pro, um, shorter arms, not so quick at holding, uh, you know, and not so quick. So, you know, maybe holding could be a little bit of a problem with him down the line, but this is a guy that I think is going to be um, helpful to the Lions and that they can use either as a, as a reserve and maybe potentially develop as a starter. And Cephas, as we've talked about, yeah, I mean, listen, the great Gil Brandt compared him to Michael Irvin um, after the draft. And I think he compared him in stylistically because he's a really physical player who I think will compete with Geronimo Allison and um, Danny Amendola this year, either for an outside spot as the reserve behind Marvin Jones um, as more of the flanker or maybe a big slot inside. And if he gets that big slot opportunity inside this year, he could contribute in three and four wide receiver sets. And Matt Stafford, the one thing about Stafford that we know is he is he has no fear about being able to target um, players in tight coverage. And Cephas thrives in those situations. One of the best ball trackers in this draft and very physical. I think that he's a guy that has, a, I would say, a lot of volatility in terms of his production potential this year, meaning that he could reach a high of being that third receiver or he's a guy who just doesn't see the field until, you know, a year or two and maybe be the guy who eventually succeeds Marvin Jones. And then when you look at Huntley, he's a he's kind of a short, small, very fast player who can play special, maybe be in the part of the return game. He's going to compete with Ty Johnson, I think, for 
a, a scat back type of role in situations um, that where they feel like they want to get a guy um, who has that open field speed that, that, you know, John, DeAndre Swift has speed, but that suddenness that Huntley has may be something that they're looking at and hoping it can develop and, and they can go with maybe a one, two combination of Swift and Huntley one day, but Huntley has some things to work on with his vision and balance to, to really develop into a, you know, a contributor on the field at this level. Last two picks, John Penasini, a D tackle from Utah and Jashan Cornell, a D end from Ohio state. Yeah. And these are the guys Ross that I think, you know, when we did our mock draft and, and you talked about the Lions really need some guys up front you know, I think they decided to wait till late to try and do this. And Penasini's a guy that, you know, kind of polarizing. Some people really like how smart and disruptive he looked um, and the way that he played with good leverage and lower body strength. Um, you know, he's he's played a two-gap role um, more often. He's not really a, a penetrator. Um, and it's it's not really the strength of his game right now. He does have some nice moves, including a club and a hump move as a pass rusher. But is he going to be able to hold up against the run in the NFL? Because he's a guy that I think dominated players who you might not necessarily see as top NFL linemen. And he's going to get tested early. And if he can pass that test, they might have something there. And then with Cornwell, Cornell, you know, he's a raw athlete, really good strength, you know, moves well. He has range with his movement and he's quick. Um, and he could become that penetrating one gapping tackle. Um, but you know, you want to see whether or not he has the the size that you're looking for to be able to hold up. Um, but again, you know, athletic traits based guy in a lot of respects, and they feel like, you know, we'll see if he can overcome, um, or compensate for that, that lack of size. Let's get to the green Bay Packers. Now we talked about the Jordan love selection, really, really interesting, now we get to A.J. Dillon in the second round. You kind of made a name for yourself, Matt, as a running back guy. Not a lot of people thought that the Packers would be taking A.J. Dillon in the second round. Yeah, not at all. But I'll tell you this, I like A.J. Dillon, and he was my number four back in this, in this class um, before the draft in terms of just rating his talent. Um, I think a lot of people undersell Dillon for a few reasons. One is that there's an overemphasis on 40 time with players. Um, and while he's not exactly slow, especially for his size, I think we get this whole, there's a little bit of weird bias nowadays. Now that we play so much, offenses play so much against nickel and we have all these scat backs that when you see a big guy like Dylan or Derek Henry or James Connor, um, you know, or LeGarrette Blunt, automatically it's like they're plotters, they're slow, they're not going to be able to do what they did in college. And then you add in with Dylan that he had, you know, more touches as or more carries as a running back over the past three years and pretty much any of the NFL prospects. And they think, oh, there's not enough tread left on the tire, which I think is an absolute myth. Because, I mean, over the years, I've studied guys like Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, Michael Turner, Stephen Jackson, Cedric Benson, even guys like Bobby Rainey, who played like 12 years in the league, even though he wasn't you know, a big guy or not even a starter, and he had a long, healthy career. And these are all guys that were healthy 
after getting a high workload in college. They had plenty of tread wet left. What that tells me is that it's a myth. It really is, is that if you can hold up and carry the ball a lot in college, you're likely to be able to hold up and carry the ball a lot in the NFL. And Dylan's done that, and he's a nimble guy who, you know, Aaron Jones hasn't stayed healthy as much as he's flashed, and his contract's up next year. Jamal Williams is a is a nice contributor who can catch the ball, terrific blocker, determined short yardage guy with good vision, but maybe lacks a little bit of that top-end pop that you want to look for. And I think Dylan's the guy who can fit in an offense that they they want to have more structure. They want to run the ball, maybe more two tight end sets or or more, you know, more with the run game to set up the pass with play action in terms of just how, you know, in terms of getting defenses to respect that. And Dylan can offer that and carry the ball a lot. So I like the pick. Third round, Josiah DeGora, who's an athletic tight end move guy from Cincinnati. I did one of the Cincinnati games last year. He's a good athlete. He sure is. And there's a terrific play of him. I think it was either lat, I think it was the year before where they played UCLA in the opener because they played UCLA twice in the op- in, in openers. And he he basically runs down an interception return um, that started in um, since in, in basically UCLA's end zone and works all the way back. And I think DeGuara covers like 70 or 80 yards across the field in the fourth quarter. I mean, great hustle. But he's a former receiver with, with really good ball tracking skills um, who's developed into a tight end who has, you know, very, very good promise as a flat player someone who's shown that he's um, developed as a blocker and and should be able to do even more. But it's interesting because the Packers seem to want to use him as a Justin Juszczyk type of player. So, you know, in that regard, that's promising for what Green Bay wants to do because they, they get a guy who can probably lead block for them right now, who can do some work in the red zone for them and get loose, you know, in the intermediate and vertical game from a position that you don't normally count on that to be. Uh, the case, so he's going to offer some mismatch opportunities against some linebackers, and that's what I think they're hoping to get from him. Um, but he may not be that stats glory, you know, that glory player in terms of stats. But he might be a guy that they feel really good about what he can do for them um, in terms of being kind of the glue of an offense. No fourth round picks. Then you get to the fifth round where they had Kamal Martin, um, an inside linebacker from Minnesota. Yeah, you know, he's a he's a good tackler. Um, the thing is, is that can he diagnose blockers well enough? I mean, he's had some trouble where when blockers climb towards him or, you know, the angle that he needs to take blocks on, he's he gets enveloped kind of early on plays. So he's going to have to, you know, do a better job of avoiding those type of blocks because as good as he can be at working off blocks, he get there are opportunities that he just ends up in situations he should have avoided. Um, he's a decent coverage player, should be able to contribute on special teams as he gets a chance to develop in those areas. Three sixth-round offensive linemen, kind of interesting. John Runyon from Michigan, Jake Hansen from Oregon, and Simon Stepaniak from Indiana. Yeah, you know, with Runyon, we've talked about him a good bit, quick and smooth. Sets up, you know, as a protector, he's skilled at countering first moves. He gets his hands inside his opponent. 
Um, and when he gets his way, you know, he's going to be able to lead edge defenders around the pocket and stay in position. Um, his game's a little more finesse right now, more than dominating an opponent with force. Um, you know, but he's a guy that, you know, if he can add the muscle and, and, and get, get a little bit stronger, I think that there's a future there for him. And then with Stepaniak, you know, he's been listed as a tackle, but he's probably better off as a guard. He pulls well. He has potential to make the team. I, I think, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that does very well on gap schemes in the run game. And this is more of a zone offense, um, what they're going to run in terms of most of the time. Um, he's going to need to work on pass sets. He can be a little exaggerated with his movement. So he gets in trouble early where, you know, maybe his stance, he leans a little too much or his, his you know, his stance is a little wide and he gets set up on counters pretty quickly as a result of that. And Hanson, you know, he's, he's a smaller center in terms of what you're looking for in the position, but he has excellent hands. He's got grip strength. He is accurate with his strikes. He's very good at double teaming with guards. Um, and, and he's, he's scheme versatile. And so he's also a durable guy. I think he's going to make the team. I think he'll eventually contribute. Seventh rounders were Vernon Scott, a safety from TCU and Jonathan Garvin, a DN from Miami. Yeah. You know, listen, this, you know, Scott is, he's a trait based guy, size, speed, height. He, he's, he's someone who, you know, the lights started to come on for him in college late in his career. Um, he has, some special team skill. And I think he has a shot to make the roster on the merits of that work. And then hopefully he can develop in terms of his understanding of routes, attack angles and positioning and coverage. If he doesn't, then he may be bouncing around looking for a special teams role. Um, when it comes to Garvin, you know, this is a guy who has consistently been able to, he, he's shown some pass rush ability. You know, he can swim. He has, he has, some skill to bend um, the edge. If you can do it a little bit tighter, then you really have something with him. Um, but it's about really being able to, you know, close and keep his feet on the ground and and not leave his feet so much. He has some things to clean up in terms of footwork. And, um, and if he can do that, I think he may have a shot as well in terms of being able to provide something as, as at least a reserve. Let's get to the Vikings now, Matt. They had two first-round picks, Justin Jefferson, Jeff Gladney. We talked about those players. Those are guys that huge needs for the Minnesota Vikings with no Stephon Diggs, no Xavier Rhodes, and they attacked him in the first round. They had a lot of picks. So now you get to the second round and the third round, and you have Ezra Cleveland, the offensive lineman from Boise State, and Cam Dantzler, the corner from Mississippi State. Yeah, and when you say they have a lot of picks, I mean, one of the points that I know that I've talked about with um, CFL scout Russ Landy, former NFL scout, is that, you know, he, he pointed this out, and I think it's a great um, great thought, is that Minnesota probably traded to get more picks this year because they knew with the pandemic that it would probably be harder for them to really get a chance to evaluate a lot of undrafted free agents. So instead of, you know, instead of trying to acquire all these guys and hopefully get them into a camp and having limited time to really see them, depending on what happens, they decide to trade, get more picks and just pay a nominally higher um, charge basically to sign them the deals so that they could guarantee that they have them for a longer period of time and get a chance to evaluate them more. And that, that's what they did. But with, you know, at the top of this draft right now, beyond Jefferson and Gladney, 
Cleveland's, you know, he's a good athlete with a low center of gravity. Some thought he, the Cleveland Browns were interested in him as possibly a guy they tr- would trade down in the first round to acquire because he plays that outside zone um, system well and he can climb well, quick-footed. And I think that, you know, he's someone that can also work the backside pretty well in terms of backside blocks, getting across the face of guys. It, you know, this is a guy that's a good fit who just is a, you know, has a little bit of development left to do. Dantzler, you know, listen, he's a patient, you know, being having a good blend of patience and aggression at cornerback is so important. And for a young guy to be able to know when to jump routes, but also show patience with jamming and working with receivers in tight coverage, that that takes a feel for the game that that he has. That's an that's a good instinctive quality. And he's a smart corner who can ferret out, you know, route combinations well. I think he plays zone without a lot of hesitation. His tackling, like with a lot of cornerbacks, isn't great. Um, and he can get a little too physical at the line and, and lose control against physical receivers. But overall, this is a smart prospect with a lot of skill. Fourth round, they had three of them. DJ Wanham, the DN from South Carolina. James Lynch, the D-tackle from Baylor. Troy Dye, the Oregon inside linebacker who led them in tackles four straight years. Yeah, this is an interesting group of guys because, you know, some considered Wonham as a as a three four linebacker, um, but he's probably going to be asked to work with his hand on the ground as a defensive end. And if he can develop a little better speed to power, um, get his hand usage um, a little tighter, and and play up the skills that he has to work pass blocks, other than bending the edge, because he he doesn't have a great bend to the edge, but he got some hip swivel he can squeeze between blockers and get skinny um he might have as a role as a backup he has a really nice motor um and maybe even a contributor you know the the vikings have done good work being able to develop edge guys so one might be they see something in him um lynch you know listen he played end and tackle during his career he was better as an end on three-man fronts um but and you wondered if the tackle spot kind of wore him out in the past but He's a guy that has some versatility. He has decent arm length. He can get his hands on defenders and dictate. Um, and he's got a decent first step, but I don't think he has great acceleration. He he does have a nice motor and, and determination, and he's very strong. He really manhandled people at in his conference um, and was very disruptive. The question is whether he's going to really be able to do that in the NFL. But some of, a lot of the techniques are there, um, you know, and – you know, if he can prove that he's quick enough and fluid enough in the NFL, I think he could possibly develop into a starter. Right now, I think he'll be a contributor and be able to help out at least against the run at this stage. And then Die, you know, he's a top athlete, you know, just really explosive, speedy, good length. Um, you know, he's a good chase player, kind of see the ball, run down the ball, you know, run down the ball carrier type of guy. Um, disruptive pass rusher off the edge. He's a little thin for a linebacker. And, you know, he wins so much with his quickness that I think there are times that he can be undisciplined with his run fits and gap responsibilities. Um, And because he's more of a chase down guy than a thumper, you're going to see him miss tackles. I mean, one of the more, one of the interactions I saw that was impressive for Quintez Cephas, but also not so impressive for Troy Dye was when, Troy Dye had a chance to lay out Cephas in the Rose Bowl, and and he basically got 
you know, he got swatted aside like he was nothing by a 202 pound receiver, but that 202 pound receiver also lifted the, lifted the bar about, I, I want to say more times than any receiver in the, in the draft class. So Dye's an interesting guy, but he has a certain role that you're looking for with him. Couple of fifth round picks, Harrison Hand, corner from Temple, and KJ Osborne, receiver from Miami. I did one of his games when he was at University of Buffalo. Yeah, you know, Osborne's kind of a Jeremy Ross type of player, the former um Lion and Eagle from Cal who has kind of a running back's kind of frame, but can play the slot and return and do well in the return game. Quick twitch, good open field skills. And, and good ball skills, it's just a matter of how good he can get as a route runner. And Hand has to, you know, he's a guy who's a little stiff in the hips, not very quick. Tracking the ball is a little bit of an issue, but he's a good tackler. Um, he he plays the man or the ball better than the than really the ball. So, like, if he's facing the quarterback, he reads the quarterback's eyes well. If he's facing the receiver, he plays the receiver well. But when he's asked to to track the ball or he's forced to try to account for that. That's where he can struggle. Um, but, you know, he's an interesting guy who might be able to help out on special teams and and actually do some work in multiple receiver sets and, say, empty where they, they're playing more quarters or things like that. Two six-rounders, Blake Brandle, an offensive tackle from Oregon State, and Josh Metellus, the safety from Michigan. Yeah, I think they're going to try and have – Brandel earned a roster spot as a guard after he played tackle for a little while. He's he has good feet off the line and through his contact with defenders, it's a little bit thin um, at his position. So he's going to have to prove his strength and widen his base. And then when you look at Metellus, you know, he's a good run defender who plays at his best when he can anticipate what's going to happen, but he doesn't do this well enough consistently. So and he lacks some range for a safety. So he's going to be a coverage mismatch at this point. Um, but should be able to help on special teams if he can, you know, develop that diagnostic skill a little bit better. He has a chance to to stick to a roster long term as a, as a, you know a contributing defender. Four seventh round picks: Kenny Willickis, the DN from Michigan State; Nate Stanley, quarterback from Iowa; Brian Cole, safety, Mississippi State; Kyle Hinton, a guard from Washburn. Yeah, you know, Willikies is a high-intensity guy, good good feel for leverage, um, overachiever who's hard to block in the run game because he's quick and heavy-handed. Um, you know, he finds the ball well, just lacks top speed, um, but he might have enough first-step quickness to surprise. Stanley's a guy with a, a big arm, willing to hang in the pocket, maybe too much to his detriment, um, but he's, he moves around pretty well for his size. Um, just a real up-and-down player who has to develop um, better skills in terms of reading the field um, and, you know, playing intelligently and maturely um, in situ- with situational football. And Cole's a late-developing safety with size and strength. He's He has the opportunity to become a good tackler because of that, um, you know, but he needs to work to do with coverage. He has, you know, some issues where he even needed to get lined up um, by his by his teammates a, a fair bit. His hips need work, but special teams is probably his role or his, what he's going to be competing for. And then Hinton, listen, you know, he played tackle and then moved to guard. He's explosive. He's strong. He's got he had a terrific pro day. He's a track athlete who's really fluid and and he pulls well. 
I think he can reach the second level well. It's just that he's going to have to work on his stance alignment, some of his techniques, um, so he doesn't lunge. And if he does, that might actually help him with his punch location because he has issues in terms of landing his punches in the area that you want him to. But the athletic abilities there, the technique may, you know, especially with his feet, may guide what's going on with his hands as well. Matt, that was awesome. I love that we talked about the NFC North today. You know why? Because Chicago Bears, Chicago Bulls. Coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they call After the Dance. Plus, we actually have some sports back. There was golf yesterday. There was NASCAR. There's United States sports that you can bet on. Why not, right? If you're looking for a little action, visit the website, mobile device, whatever. Bet online, your online wagering solutions. Just make sure you don't forget the promo code PODCAST1 for your sign-up bonus. Bet online. They are your online sportsbook experts, and they are awesome. BetOnline.ag, promo code PODCAST1. Speaking of awesome, there's a lot to get to as it relates to the NFL opening up facilities, the minority hiring stuff. I discussed that on today's Ross Tucker Football Podcast, but we'll ask Andrew Brandt on Wednesday's Ross Tucker Football Podcast. So highly encourage you to listen to that one as well. Other than that, The keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and the Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.